Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Grace Sunday School. You are in Christians in the Workplace. Downstairs is Guidance, Finding God's Will for Your Life, and next door in Luther Hall is um, Gospel Partnership and Baptism. Um, why don't we, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115, verse 1 and following. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning full of burdens about our work, how we act in our work, and how others act in our work towards us, and how we respond. And Father, we see that there is a problem with our work, and that we are so prone to idolize our work, and to make idols out of things that ought not to be worshipped. So we, we wish this morning to uh, have our hearts redirected by your mercy. Thank you for the gospel that invites us to change into more of who Christ is and how you do that in us by your Spirit. So we pray that you would do that in us. Even this morning, we do pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So last week, Pastor Rob walked us through a biblical theology, a, a big picture, overarching story of work. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so this morning, we're going to look a little bit closer at that second part about how the fall has affected work. And I'd be, I just, I'm not going to, but I'd just be curious to ask, how was work this week? How, how was it? Yeah, okay, a couple thumbs up, a couple thumbs up, and a couple people, uh, a, di- a bigger swig of coffee because work was, did not go well this week. Um, work in a fallen world is hard, and whether you are um, actively employed, or you are uh, self-employed, or you're even a mother in the home, there is plenty of work that we do, and work in a fallen world is hard. Instead of feeling the satisfaction of bringing order out of chaos, we feel the frustration of a chaotic workplace, or maybe that's just me, but I don't think so. Instead of seeing our work as worship, we are tempted to worship our work. Why doesn't our work today look like the picture of Genesis 1 and 2? 
answer, in short, is Genesis 3. What sin has done and the curse has done to our work. Adam and Eve were choosing to work for themselves to prioritize what they thought was best over what God said was best. Rather than representing God by cultivating the world as he would have them, they sought their own agenda and they used the world for their purposes. So work has never been the same since the curse. Work can be hard, painful, and tedious. And uh, Gail and I, we have this, my wife and I, we have this um, understanding when I come home and she says, how is work? And I don't know what phrases you, well, some of you might work at home. Um, but she'll ask, how is work? And I'll often say, fine, yeah, that was okay. Yeah, all right, thanks. But she knows, and I know what I mean when I come in the door and through a slightly forced smile say, thorns and thistles. She knows, I know. And then she says, well, now you're home. <laughs> but work often feels futile. You, you clear the email inbox done. And then the next morning, there's 25 more emails that need to be answered immediately. Or you spend hours and hours and hours working on a project only to realize at the end, oh, it's not over. I actually need to go back and redo everything. Or you, uh, you mow the lawn and then a week later you need to mow it again. It's uh, meaningless. Meaningless is how Solomon described it. So before we go further into the class, let's talk about what this is like. Um, what are some of the problems of doing work in this fallen world? Well, all these things are hard, but perhaps more than anything else, the problem of work in a fallen world is how we fail to accomplish God's plans for our work. Maybe you're, you've done a performance review or a development review or something in and did you accomplish all of your goals for 2022? Well, there's your goals, but what are God's goals, God's plans for your work? So this morning we'll look at two basic categories of failure. First, we make an idol of our work, I-D-O-L. And second, we can become idol, I-D-L-E, at work. Idolatry versus idleness. Idol, idol, the twin perils of the workplace. And so I have a story, since we're all friends and we can do this, we can talk openly. I have a story about my workplace and an experience of mine. Uh, I work for a company in Airdrie. We repair and overhaul gas turbine engines. If you can picture the, the engines on an airplane, those are turbine engines. Uh, ours are aeroderivative, and so they're not used for propulsion, they're not used for an airplane though it's basically the same technology. It's used for generating electricity, compressor stations, blah, blah, blah. Probably boring for most of you, but they're big engines and that's what I do. Uh, I've, I've been there for a little over six years and I currently work as a chemical process technician. So if, if you can visualize it, we have a huge row of I think 25 odd tanks, 5,000 liters, chemicals of various kinds, industrial strength. Some of them are uh, pretty, pretty nasty. Um, but what we do is, uh, as the engines are disassembled, uh, then they, they come to us and uh, you put the right part in the right tank. Uh, it's pretty important. You put it in there and then it, you, you clean it, you reprocess it, and then it's ready to be built again. So I, I've been at that company for about six years and some time ago there was a job opening. There was a, a team lead position made available. 
I thought, that makes sense. I'm going to put my name in for that. Uh, so, I, so I applied for it. I had, I think, enough experience that I would be uh, a good fit for it. Um, and I didn't just apply for it. I, uh, admittedly, I threw myself into it. Maybe that resonates with some of you. Um, obviously, the pay raise would have been helpful. I've got a growing family, got kids. Things are just expensive, so you get a bit of a pay raise when you get a promotion. So obviously, that would be uh, a benefit. Uh, I thought it would be a nice um, natural step forward in the advancement, in advancement of my career. And so there's a few just objective positives with that. But something deeper was going on, and it wasn't just that I, I wanted to get that job. I craved it. I wanted it. I wanted that title. I wanted that job. I wanted the perks of that position. And uh, when I would work, as I was being considered for this promotion, I'm now working mindful that the bosses are walking around, and I, I want them to notice the work that I'm doing. And when things don't go well, I'm hoping that they're not around, that they don't notice. And instead of appreciating the strengths of all of the other members of my team, because we all have different strengths and weaknesses, instead of appreciating their strengths, I was subconsciously flaunting mine because I was so, it was so important for me to get that promotion. So what is an idol? What does it mean when we say that a person has made work an idol? Does it simply mean that they work too hard? Does it simply mean that um, they, this, he or she enjoys what they do? They really enjoy what they do? Is it wrong to want to leave our mark on the world, to have, uh, have left a legacy, as it were, in your line of work? These can all be perfectly good motivations, and none of them are necessarily wrong. None of those are in and of themselves wrong, but the trouble starts when our pursuit of enjoyment or influence or status in our work begins to take the ultimate hold in our life, that that is where our true satisfaction is. That's, that's what makes us happy. That's what gives us a sense of completeness, is what our work can become for us. Our work has become our God. I think, was it, was it Calvin, John Calvin, who said that the the heart is an idol factory. We're good at it. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately prone to worshiping idols. We are worshipers by our very nature as human beings. God made us with the capacity to enjoy Him and even being made in His image. And um, because of sin, we, we find cheap counterfeit options to fill the void. And of course, they don't fill the void, so we keep on chasing, chasing, chasing. We will worship something. We will center our lives around something. It's good to worship. It's not a bad thing. He made us to worship. But is the object of our worship worthy of our worship? That's the question. The right object for our worship is God, Christ, exalted. Jesus once said, Worship the Lord your God and serve him among your other Little gods? No, serve him only. Luke 4, verse 8. Our worship should be reserved for God. 
He alone should command our highest devotion, and it should be around him that we center and organize our lives. When that pride or pride or priority goes to anything else, we have bowed our hearts, our knees, our allegiance to an idol. So if you think about the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and those little figures, and um, that's what idols used to be, and now we're, we're a little bit more sophisticated now. Well, I don't, I don't think there's any shrines or idols in your homes. Maybe there are. You should get rid of them. Um, but more likely, there are these invisible realities. There are these fantasies. There are these pipe dreams that are our idols. Um, maybe it's your job. And I'm just assuming we're all sinners here, if that's a safe assumption. I'm assuming that uh, if your idol is not your job, perhaps it's what your job can provide for you. So maybe it's the income that comes from your work. Ah, payday comes around. This means I can go buy blah, 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 blah. Or if it's not a materialistic bent, maybe it's more when I go to work, people have to listen to me because I'm the boss. And I like that. I like... I like that power, maybe that power that, that I, I haven't had in other parts of my life or in my home life. I have that at work, so I'm going to spend a lot of time at work because people listen to me. Maybe it's the identity. Maybe it's the purpose. There are some people who don't know how to retire. And yeah, we talk, Rob talked about that last week, about uh, maybe retirement doesn't have to be like the culture defines it, maybe we can actually keep on working and being productive according to our gifts and abilities and the capacities and the uh, opportunities that we have. But some people just don't know how to stop because their life is their work. That's their purpose. That's what they're living for. If they stopped working, who are they? What would they do? So whether it's your status, identity, pleasure, purpose, we may not be willing to admit it, but we worship our jobs. Luke 18, 18 to 29, helps us to better understand what it means to let something become an idol for us. And most of us are familiar with the story. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you're familiar with the passage, he's not coming contrite in heart, but it seems like he's maybe puffed out in chest. What must I do? because he thinks he's done everything. Jesus probes the one area of his life the young man wants to keep for himself. Remember what he says, you lack one thing. Jesus says, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. He became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus thus reveals his idol, his love of money, his love of wealth, his love of prestige that he has. His idol kept him from following Jesus. So we see the point of this story. It gives us one of the clearest and simplest pictures of idolatry in the entire Bible. An idol is something that you love more than Jesus. Do you make an idol of your work? It's easy to make your job an idol. Our culture tells you to do it. 
the culture tells us to be successful, but success is typically defined in specific ways. And we, it was, I think this was a question that was asked um, last week as well, but you meet someone and they say, so what do you do? Well, okay, okay, two things. First is, that's just a social norm. A lot of the time, it's a way to sort of locate a person. Um, are you uh, a school teacher or a heavy-duty mechanic? You know, that, that can just sort of help quickly locate a person and give you a lot more um, material to have further conversation with. Oh, you're a mechanic. Oh, you, I'd like to ask you a question about my car or, you know, whatever, whatever. It's a, it's a social norm. But secondly, and maybe for a lot of us, the pressure's on. You've just been asked, what do you do? Well, you want to impress them. You want that person to think that what you do is important and you're good at it. So the way that you sort of articulate that, it's, um, I'll leave that example in my mind. Okay, I'll, see, I'll share it. Um, <laughs> So when someone says, oh, well, what do you do? Well, I'm in, uh, uh, I'm in waste management, which means you drive the garbage truck, which is fine. Drive a garbage truck to the glory of the Lord. But like, why are, uh, waste management? Just, we're, we're so desperate to sort of use our title and give it a bit of a spit shine so that we feel better about ourselves. We all have jobs to do and a role to play in the, in the world. Um, there it is. Maybe I should have kept that in my head. That's fine. For many others, the social cues around us push us to find our identity in our jobs. What you do is therefore who you are. I am what I do. Idolizing your work, however, is more than just a bad idea. It's a deadly spiritual danger. If your pursuit of joy, satisfaction, and meaning centers on what you do, and what you accomplish, while well, it's chasing after the wind. You'll find nothing but emptiness at the end of that road. Uh, what, what job title will make you happy? What, what responsibilities, what level of prominence and influence in your organization or the society will actually truly make you feel all right? Maybe temporarily, but then you'll be on to the next thing. Deep and lasting satisfaction can only be found when our worship is directed at the one who alone deserves it. So, what are the warning signs that, that you and I may have made an idol out of our work? See if any of these describe you. Number one, your work is the primary source of your satisfaction. Your work is the primary source of your satisfaction. It's easy to look for the fulfillment from your work, in finding your ultimate purpose in job performance and success in the workplace. So, uh, what, what could that look like? It's, um, you ever see that National Lampoon's Christmas? Uh, what's the name of that weird uncle who's living in an RV and he's unemployed, but his wife says, he's holding out for a management position. <laughs> Because everything else is beneath him. And yet, he's so disillusioned. Just go get a job. Just go work. <laughs> Your family needs it. And it's, uh, it's hilarious because it's so um, pitiful. 
They're made to do something, and they refuse to do anything uh, less than what they are passionate about. So for, um, for some, this could come in a form of constant grinding frustration that their work is not completely fulfilling. I could be doing so much more in this world, and yet I'm stuck in this job. A deep-seated self-satisfaction in what they've already accomplished and what they want to accomplish. But here's the, here's the thing. It's like um, if, uh, if a little boy starts getting angry at his bicycle. How come you're not flying? Well, it's a bike. Bikes don't fly. You're, you're putting too much weight on that one item to do something for you that it was never designed or able to do. If you put on your job uh, or your desire for a job the expectation that it will make you whole, <laughs> sorry, it's just not going to do that. It's just not. Our jobs were never intended to carry the weight of providing us with ultimate lasting satisfaction. And, and maybe many of us in this room know the disappointment when you have put that freight on that, on that job or that hope for that job, how disappointing that can be. Number two, your work is about making a name for yourself. Your work is about making a name for yourself. There's nothing wrong with working hard and doing your work well. In fact, that's actually something God requires of us. It's even like a reverse engineering of the Sabbath principle. We, we often think of the Sabbath as you shall work six days and then rest on the seventh day. But then if you reverse engineer it, it's not just rest. You're going to work. You're going to work for six days and then rest. There's something in our desire to be recognized as being good at something that is problematic. It becomes an idol. We want to look good. We want people to take notice of our doing well, to, um, to take notice of us and praise us for our, our abilities. And often this shows up as a wrongly competitive mindset. We don't just want to do a good job. We want to be seen as better than others. So ultimately, the job is sort of irrelevant. It's more of a, a means to an end for us to get glory. We're glory hogs. We want glory for ourselves. So when Jesus says, don't let your right hand see what your left hand is doing, well, we don't know anything about that because we want everyone to see what we're doing. And that's why we take a picture and post it on our social media about all the, all the work that we're doing. Nothing wrong with promoting, nothing wrong with promoting your business, nothing wrong with getting the word out. It's, as we talk about these things, it's, it's often like you could have person A, person B, they're doing the exact same things. They're doing the 40 hours of work week or they're doing a 60 hour work week and one person does it with the worst motivations. Seeking their own self-glory, seeking materialistic gain, seeking their name in the world, uh, not loving the Lord Jesus. And person B does everything else, does the same things, but they love the Lord, and they're doing it out of a devotion to Him and using their gifts and wanting to meet the needs of their society and provide for their family. And you can have the two people side by side, totally different hearts, to totally different motivations. So keep that in mind uh, with all these things. Sometimes um, generalizations are just generalizations. Number three, your work becomes primarily about making a difference in the world. Everyone wants to be a Steve Jobs, apparently. 
Another way our work becomes an idol is when we think that the ultimate purpose of our work is to bring some benefit to the people around us, which in many cases does happen as a result of our work. There's something right about that difference, about that desire to make a difference in the world. But that desire can also elevate itself into idolatry if we believe that the value of our work is determined by the difference it makes. So when our work fills us with pride, we take credit for the things our work accomplishes instead of recognizes, recognizing that in God's sovereign, providential uh, outworking of his will in the world, some things he blesses and some things he doesn't. Sometimes the Lord has plans for the world, including your work, that don't align with your will. And it, does it have any less value, your role in God's kingdom purposes? based on your cultural uh, assumptions? No, it's, it's whatever God's will was in that situation. Making a difference or working to change the world can also lead us to neglect other God-given responsibilities. So think of this. Think of, uh, uh, I don't know if we have any engineers. Um, think of an engineer who's designing a bridge, a bridge for his city. And this is a really important bridge. It's, it's, it's going to be a bridge that uh, is the highlight of the city. And so a lot of focus and a lot of attention. His bosses are, are putting a lot of pressure on him and his team. And so he starts working 16, 18-hour days, designing, designing, thinking, thinking all the implications. He's working, 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 working. And this is going to be a great benefit to the city, this well-designed, sound bridge. And yet he's got a wife and kids at home. So as he's doing this for the world and being a world changer, a world shaker, and leaving his name marked, maybe even on the bridge, I don't know, uh, his wife and kids don't know where dad is. And yeah, the money's rolling in, but there's no fatherly role in the home. He might justify his neglect because he's doing something good, serving the community, being a, a, a philanthropist even in some way. But if our efforts don't produce the results we want to see, we get discouraged and angry. We become frustrated and think that our work was simply a waste of time. All the while, there's a lot more simple, more important work in the home that you've neglected. So you can just see how you just, <laughs> your heart is just poured out for your work and totally misaligned and missing the ultimate priorities. So, if we're not convicted yet, um, we should be, because I think this is all of us. What's the fix for idolatry of work? What's the solution? What's the next step? What do we do? How do we respond? The bottom line truth is that this world is simply not, living, not worth living for. It claims to be. It tells you that you need to sell your soul to the workplace the overtime, the, the taking on of extra shifts, the taking on, on of extra jobs and projects. Work, 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 because then you'll be happy with the money and the prestige and the, the career advancement. But only God himself is truly worth living for. Only he can bring ultimate, lasting happiness and satisfaction. So, where and how have you been looking too much for happiness, joy, fulfillment, or purpose in your job? Have you found yourself, even just think this past week, like just go through your memories of, uh, 
of, uh, of your work this past week. Have you desired your work more than Jesus? Have you made your work an idol? And if so, the solution is not easy necessarily, but it is simple. It's, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians, it's turning from idols to serve the living God. It's an active turning away. The priority is now shifting from the work being ultimate to God being ultimate. We need to repent. What does repentance mean? But it is just a turning. You're going this way, now you're going that way. To be redirected by the mercy of God. It's futile, it's wrong thinking, and it's, it's misery, really, to be, just be chasing the career, uh, to recognize our idolatry for what it is, and to then refocus our mind on working as an act of worship of God. So you're still clocking in nine to five or whatever your hours are. You're still going to, your repentance from this doesn't mean you're not going to work tomorrow. You're still going, but your heart has changed. Your heart and the, the motivation for why you work has changed. It's an act of worship to God instead of fueling the fire of your own self-worship. And if this has been something that you've wrestled with in your life, in your career, or maybe uh, your spouse or friends, if you've wrestled with that uh, and you've come to these sort of conclusions, you'll find that the goalposts stop moving. The goalposts of where your happiness is. And if only I have this. Okay, well, 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 I've gotten that. Now, if only I have this. Actually, wherever the Lord has placed you for your work, suddenly you're content. It's maybe not your dream work, maybe not your dream job, whatever that is. But you're content in the Lord. It's like um, Carl Truman, if any of you have read his big tome on uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self, he, uh, he speaks about a conversation. Uh, no, he says, hypothetically, if he were to ever ask his grandfather who worked in the coal mines, do you find job satisfaction? Are you fulfilled by your work? <laughs> he said, he wouldn't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, fulfilling? I work, I get paid, and I provide for my family. Yeah, that, I'm satisfied by that. That's his answer. So the, the simplicity of working for God and being content with where he's placed you and then working mighty, mightily, working heartily as unto the Lord actually makes you a happier worker. You've got that contentment. When Christ is your treasure, you stop chasing after the wind of worshiping your work. And we'll spend the next three weeks walking through what that repentance looks like, a little bit more uh, meat on the bones. Um, so that's for the next three weeks. And so it might even be helpful for you and I this week to just think about the various ways that we make work an idol and to th think about that and come on Sundays with that in the back of your mind, anticipating how the Lord might be working in us to change and to sort of shake us free from those idols. So now uh, we're going to switch gears um, instead of being idolatrous, we're going to talk about idleness, I-D-L-E. Last week we saw that God created work to be worship of him. Your work matters mainly because of what you're doing says about God. There's a great book that's not on, written on the handouts, but uh, came out about six, eight, 
I don't know, 10 months ago by Brian Chappelle. He's a preaching guy. He writes books on preaching and helps preachers be better preachers. Uh, but he wrote a book called Grace at Work. I really recommend it. Grace at Work, it's a, a real encouragement for whatever work you're in to see that the grace of the gospel, the grace that comes from God, is at work, at work, in your workplace, in your work uh, that you do. And something that he uh, mentioned in his book, that I'm sure other books like that mention, is if Christ was doing your job, if he, if he was doing your job, what would the work look like? What would the relationships look like with the very um, persnickety co-workers or the temperamental boss or the inconsistent logistics team or whatever? How would he interact with them? And even if your work is more hands-on, how would he, in diligence, do it? Um, and in relationships, how would he go about doing that? The whole, you know, that old wristband, WWJD, we, we mock it, we laugh at it. It's a pretty good question. What would Jesus do in your work? When you are creative, you image forth God's creativity. We're made in the image of God. When you're honest at work, you show that you trust his command not to speak falsely. We don't need to fib. We don't need to lie and sort of paint things a different way because we trust that God's in control of the outcome. When you work hard, even though no one's watching, you show off the work of sanctification he's done in your life. In all these ways, your work is worship. We just had Christmas not too long ago, and uh, I don't know where you position your Christmas tree, but if you have your Christmas tree in the corner, say like we had here, my temptation as a, uh, well, whatever, my temptation is when you decorate it, you don't need to put very many decorations on the back because no one's ever going to see it. And, uh, and my wife has said, yeah, but we want to decorate the whole tree. I just, I didn't really get it. And then there's a connection that the Lord did in my heart that, well, well God does things that we don't see. Even some of the creatures in the, the deep, deep sea that we're just now discover, discovering, like particular fish that no one's seen before or whatever, I bet you there's tons of creatures God has made that no one knows about. But he made it because he's God and he loves to be creative and he's not doing it necessarily just to always get your attention. Sometimes he just wants to be God. And for us, when the boss isn't there and he's taking the afternoon off or uh, you're alone on the job site, there's no other tradesmen there, or um, your team has all left and it's just you, you can just work, 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 work. Not because anyone's going to see it. They probably won't even notice it. Maybe they will they, they'll certainly notice if you are habitually not working <laughs> anytime after noon on Thursdays. Uh, but if you are constantly working, you are showing something of God in you just loving to do your work. Your work is no longer what you worship, but as you worship God, your work becomes an act of worship, demonstrating what God is like and how you trust him. Work as an idol destroys us by worshiping the wrong thing. We invest it with the wrong significance. But when we fall into the other, um, the other side, when we become idle at work, um, we invest it with no significance. This is not important, so I'm not going to do anything. But as a definition of idleness suggests, being idle can be a lot more subtle than, subtly, than simply not working. 
So the Bible, um, Paul writes to the, to the Thessalonians, and he writes uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 that the most dramatic form of idleness, inactivity, should never mark Christians. What, what does he say? That those who are unwilling to work shall not eat. Hmm. I think our society would look, would look a lot more different if those who refuse to work, who are able to work, didn't get any handouts. The, I think the statistic, and there's all sorts of nuance on this, but 30% of able-bodied men in North America are not working. 30% of able-bodied men in North America are not working. Now, that's um, lots of reasons for that, I'm sure, and so um, just want to add a whole bucket of nuance on that. But there's a lot of guys who just stay in their mom's basement playing video games. There's a lot of guys who, because uh, we're speaking about men in particular, who um, could work, but maybe like the RV, like that uncle from that movie, you know, he's just, he's waiting, he's holding out for the right job because everything else is beneath him. It's a good reminder for us, that principle from the Bible, that work and, uh, and forsaking the temptation to laziness uh, work is actually a good thing. It's actually good for us. The Bible warns us against more than simply doing nothing, though. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 3. Just because you're busy at work doesn't mean you're off the hook. There is a way that you can look busy, but not really be busy. And as you're looking up, I'll, I'll, an ex- example from my workplace, and um, I don't know if, if this is something that you've seen too, but um, there are... Uh, there are ways to look busy, which is to walk around our shop with a clipboard. You have a clipboard and a pen, and you just start walking around. People leave you alone because they think that you're going to write up something about them. Uh, there's also a, a video on, um, on YouTube, uh, whatever, wherever I saw it. It's uh, how to look busy on the job site if you work construction. And... Um, the first one, I think there's three ways. First way to look busy is make it look like you're looking for something. Second one is um, make it really look like you're looking for something and you have a, have a bit of a huff to you. You're, you're busy. People sort of leave you alone. Oh, he's busy, busy guy. And I forget what the third one is. Um, anyways, it's just all these dumb ways. Just work. Just do your job. Your day will go by faster than trying to just fritter it away. Um, and ultimately, from the biblical perspective, Colossians 3, 22 to 24, says, uh, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ in your work. So you see what Paul is saying here. He begins with a warning against doing nothing. Even if you're a slave, obey your masters and everything. Just do it, he tells them. But he goes one step further. Just doing it isn't enough. Work and serve with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do your work with all your heart as working for the Lord, 
not for human masters. And this is, in particular, a, an encouragement that has been for me when you have imperfect human masters, when you have an imperfect boss. But you said, do this, I did this, and then you said that, I did that, and now you're not happy with that, even though I did that, and what do you want? The, the frustration, that is just objective reality of the workplace, that there is just frustrating circumstances. You can then say, um, I'm not ultimately working for you. I'm working for my Savior, who is perfect in all the ways that you're maybe imperfect. And so I can look past your imperfections, I can look past your um, failings as a leader, and as much as I can, I will do what you say with a glad heart, and I will work well, because I'm not working for you ultimately. I'm working for God. Which is, I think, a huge uh, apologetic a moment when people around you are working and they, they're maybe tempted to badmouth the boss, or badmouth other people on the team, and you've got a bit of a whistle and you're working, even though the context is frustrating, there's a happiness that you have to just do your thing, to just work. Why, why, are you, why don't you just do it the easy way? Why don't you just badmouth him like the rest of us? Well, not working for him ultimately. Who are you working for? So are you idle in your work? How do you know when you've allowed yourself to become idle in your work? Number one, your work is merely an, a means to an end, a place to serve your own needs. Okay, here's a... Um, there's a, an individual that was, uh, was let go from our company, um, and he was notorious for being very slow to walk into the building to start his shift. But if it was lunchtime or if it was time to go home, zoom, he's out. He's out. So the priorities are there. He's there to just clock in, get his paycheck, and go home. And that showed itself in, in other things too. Um, your work is merely a means to an end, a place to serve your own needs. Um, People say, I'm in it for the money. I worked so that I can play. A person who thinks like this doesn't care much about their job. The only thing that they care about are the things that the job allows them to do. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with this line of thinking? It ignores the fact that God has purposes for us in our work itself. However menial, however unmatched to our interests, our jobs are one of the significant ways that God uses to mature us as Christians and to bring glory to himself. God has a purpose for your work. There's something more going on than just you arrive, do your thing, leave, and somehow a paycheck arrives in your bank account and you live the rest of your life. There's something going on there. And even, even providentially, why is it that God has you right now in this season of your life in this role that you're in, whether you're self-employed or working for an employer, uh, unemployed, what, what is God teaching you? And the particular people that you work with that, oh, if only I could have this type of a boss or this type of a coworker or these types of, um, of people working underneath me, if only I had that type of a helper. And then to which the Lord responds, well, yeah, but I've given you this one for a reason. What could that reason be? Uh, number two, your work totally frustrates you. 
Work will always carry with it some level of frustration, and that's life in a fallen world. Yet sometimes we go too far with our frustrations and we become blind to God's aims for us in our work. The inevitable frustration we feel with work in a fallen world should turn our eyes back to God. Even in line with just what I was saying, uh, in, when God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, well, comes to Adam, what did they do? They say, well, it's this spouse you gave me. Well, that's, that's what Adam says. It's this wife that you gave me. So when we grumble about our, our work and our jobs, we're ultimately saying that we don't trust that you've done things well in our life right now. And it's, it's frustrating because we think you got it wrong, God. That's a way that we can take our eyes off of him. And, and yet when we, when we recognize that God is the one who has ordained all these things, we can actually say, I don't get it. This is hard, but God is good, and he's going to carry me through this. I trust him. Lord, you are good. Thank you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Number three, your work becomes divorced from your Christian discipleship. More than a few Christians think of their work as something that they have to do from nine to five, Monday through Friday, or shift work, as may be the case in this room, so they can do the real work of being a Christian on the weekends. If this describes you, read Colossians 3 again. Our work is not something we do in addition to following Christ. It is an expression of our Christian faith. So when you are writing an email to your boss, you're writing a memo, or you're, you're putting in an order, you're checking inventory, you're driving a screw into a two-by-four, whatever it is, you are worshiping God and following Jesus. Whatever you do, Paul writes, work at it with all your heart. Why? Because you work for the king, the best boss. I, I always like that uh, bumper sticker, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. You ever see that? That's a good one. Why idleness is not an option. Believing that God doesn't care about our work can lead us into disobedience and sin. Christians find themselves doing things at work that they'd never do anywhere else. Treating people with contempt, losing their temper, stealing time, stealing supplies, cutting corners or fudging what's right and wrong. When we decide that our jobs don't really matter to God, we're less careful to keep God at the front of our minds when we're dealing with others. We find ourselves, even without realizing it, doing our work without thinking about Jesus at all. And here's a searching question. Whatever your line of work is, um, how much time do you spend on your smartphone that is non-work related when you should be working? How much time are you spending just a quick scan when you should be working? But now think, how would your work change if you began to see your work as an arena for God's glory and your own growth and discipleship? I remember uh, Terry Stauffer, if you, if you remember him, uh, um, he and I used to work together at this same company, and he said that when he transitioned out of working full-time there, and he actually came on full-time at Calvary Grace before he left and went up to Edmonton, um, he said to me that he, he sort of wishes he had stayed on longer at, um, at our work. And I thought, why? This, now you can get into ministry. And he said, the Lord probably had a few more lessons that he would have taught me had I stayed there, and I sort of wish I did. And 
I've, I've come to really appreciate that wisdom, even as I continue to, to do my work there. Uh, your interactions with customers and bosses and employees become opportunities to show God's love and goodness to them. So even the way that you, so if someone comes up to you all huffy, whether it's a customer, um, a coworker, contractor, whatever, they come up all huffy and they're just, and you want to respond in kind because that's just what we do as fleshly people. You want to respond in kind, but yet a calm word turns away wrath. And there's something of the fruit of the Spirit that is now on display as we work as Christians in the workplace. Okay, so God has brought this situation into my life. What does he want me to learn from it? How is this going to strengthen my faith and bring him glory? So if Jesus were doing my job right now, how would he do it? How would he interact with the people I'm interacting with? Asking these questions and then acting in light of them is precisely what it means to fight idleness in work and serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. So the bottom line, just as we're coming uh, to a close very soon, our jobs matter to God. And so therefore, they should matter to us. He created us to work, and even though frustration at work is an inescapable fruit of sin, God uses our jobs to bring himself glory and to do good in and through our lives. So the solution to idolatry at work and idleness at work is the same. We repent. So hard to do because there's so much in our flesh that just wants to self-vindicate and rather we decide that we will turn from that and to find our identity, our purpose, our joy, our treasure is in Christ and who he says we are, not what our job title or our business card or our LinkedIn profile says about us. It is what God says about us in Christ and his adopting love. And then in so doing, well, maybe tomorrow morning or whenever your next shift starts or whatever you do for work, or even in the home as a mom, when you go and do your work next, maybe that can recalibrate things so that um, you're not living for your work anymore. And when you are at work, you are a little bit more switched on now, too. Um, I think we've got time for maybe one or two questions or a comment or a testimony. So that's a good question, Alan. Thank you. Uh, I did not get the promotion. Um, and I think it was right that I didn't get the promotion because I wanted it too bad. And funny enough, um, <laughs> funny enough, uh, if you were there for the beginning, I, I explained, uh, uh, um, or if you weren't there at the beginning, I explained how I threw myself into my work at a, in a season because there was a promotion available, and I just I launched myself into it, and I just wanted it too bad, and uh, it just all sorts of weird came out of me, and and yet now that I've um, since learning the lesson that God has for us in the workplaces. Um, I've learned to find my contentment in the Lord and in, in, the, in the position that he's had me in and to work as unto the Lord and to work well, to work heartily, not being a man pleaser, but just working heartily unto the Lord. Um, my work is a lot more productive. I interact a lot better with my coworkers and I think I'd be a much better fit for that job now, but I don't want it. <laughs> because 
I don't need it anymore. I don't need that elevation. I don't need that promotion. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what, what the Lord has for me in my life. But the, the goalposts stop changing. They, they stop moving when you find that contentment in the Lord. Any other comments or questions? Say, sorry, I'll say it one more time. How do you gauge? Uh, the, the culture will say um, the more money you make and the more prominence you have um, and the, the bigger house and the more, yeah, the more fame you have, um, the more experiences you can have, the more vacations you can take, that's success. Um, for the Christian, God has gifted us individually with very different gifts. Like even if you look in this room, we have all manner of different careers and vocations and abilities and skills. And um, if you were to try to be just like the person next to you, well, it probably wouldn't work because that's not how God has built you. So I think the way of gauging your, the value of your work is understanding, without being too circumspect, but understanding how God has made you how God has gifted you, and how you are growing in that, what would be a, a natural fit for you? If you're a little bit more hands-on, or if you're a little bit more creative, artsy, um, whatever it may be, and if you are, whatever your work is, wh wherever you're employed, or wh wherever your job is, are you working heartily as unto the Lord? Like, you're actually trying your hardest in what you do. Even if the culture might not say that, oh, you're, a, you're a this type of person and you, or you don't have this kind of house, your success is rather in what does the Lord think? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So whatever your job is and whatever um, you accomplish in that is almost a little irrelevant. Almost. Not totally irrelevant. But uh, the value that it offers to society is one thing. The, the value that it offers to the home that you can provide for your wife and children, if, if that may be the case. Uh, there are just various spheres. And like I was saying earlier, you have person A and person B. Maybe Let's just imagine that person A and person B have the exact same job, job title, um, uh, salary, benefits, house, whatever, what they contribute to society. But person A does it out of selfish desires, self-glorification, and person B does it out of a desire to work heartily as unto the Lord, I'd say there's more value in person B, even a, an eternal value, um, even though both of them, under God's common grace, well, the lights stay on and buildings don't fall down and there's just co God's common grace. So I don't know if that's a perfect answer and I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking. Do you want to come back on me on that? Mm, yeah, even something that John Piper said recently in the last six months in an interview is find out what you're good at and put everything you have into that. And if you do that, I think you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of positive results that come from that. Uh, any, maybe one more question or a comment? Let's pray. Father, we wish this week ahead to work for you to honor you and to have our eyes upon you in all that you have set uh, before us with our work, whether we are um, employed with a lot on our plates or we're underemployed. Um, God, help us to honor you and to not worship the things that cannot, um, that do not deserve worship. But you are worthy of worship. You are the God who would even make us in your image and you would remake us in the image of Christ Thank you for redeeming us. 
that we can, even in our workplaces, change from being perhaps too idolatrous or maybe a little lazy at work. You can change us to become more like Christ and we can work as unto him, working heartily, even knowing how it is to, uh, to work hard and then to rest. Thank you for the rest that we have even on this Sabbath day that we can rest in you and hear the word preached and enjoy this refreshing gospel ministry together. And we pray for Pastor Josh that you would help him as he comes to preach very soon. Prepare our hearts, Lord, to receive his ministry and help us to walk uh, in newness of life this next week, even in the workplace. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.